Hi everybody, I'm Mike Pitt. I'm a member at the table and I'm also a pediatrician and on the healthcare advisory team. We're a group of doctors, nurses, mental health providers, and public health workers that have been advising Debbie and Matt throughout the pandemic about how to keep ourselves and our community as safe and healthy as possible. We wanted to give you a couple updates from our last meeting. The first is that for the first time, we've been able to talk about the light at the end of the tunnel. Part of that is because of the exciting advances in science that have allowed all of us as the healthcare workers to start to get vaccinated. And we encourage you on behalf of the church when it's your turn to do so. We're able to talk about any questions you may have about the science of that. And we're really honored to be part of a church that trusts science and looks and realizes that we worship the ultimate scientist, the ultimate creator, and are grateful for the, the scientific breakthroughs that he's allowed. Secondly, we want to talk about what it looks like to start safely getting back together as a church. We are starting to continue to pray for warmer weather so that we can safely offer both outside and hybrid models of worship together. Our goal is to have an outside Easter service with a rain or shine option for those that feel safe or comfortable for a small amount to enter the building for church if, if, if need be. All of our services at that point moving forward will involve a virtual component and our goal is to find ways to minimize risk, get us back together as safely as possible, and really move towards coming together as a church again. I'm honored to be part of this advisory committee. I thank you uh, 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 for, again, being a, a church that, that believes in science and is, is willing to re respect both the need to be safe uh, and the need to find a time to get together. Look forward to seeing you in person. Well, hey everyone, uh, so good to see you. I know I was just over here, but now I'm here. Um, first things off, thanks for being here with us again. Uh, I wanted to get into a couple things. First of all, if you are new or if you just haven't gotten on this yet, we have a great text message uh, chain that you can join by texting the table to 33222. So text the word table to 33222 and we'll send you texts, not too many, just good informative ones. And uh, that's a good way to find out just what's going on here. Second thing, uh, if you've not figured out how to help support the table, uh, we'd love it if you wanted to start giving. And you can go to the table website and just navigate to the giving tab and figure everything out there. Uh, I know that there's a lot of places that you can be giving to, but um, part of giving at the table is saying like, I believe in what this is doing. Um, I believe that what the table and what this community of people is doing uh, is something that I wanna be part of financially. And we're not asking for everything you've got, but even if it's like that 10 bucks a month, that Netflix rate or something like that, that goes a long way. Um, it gives to, to our ability to help people in this community to continue to develop the things that we're passionate about, the things that we really believe in, and hopefully that you believe in too. So uh, just, yeah, check out the website, thetablempls.com. Hi everyone, Debbie Manning here. Couple things I just wanna make sure you guys have on your radar. We've got some pretty cool studies coming up and one that starts this Tuesday and we will be meeting at 12 noon on Tuesdays via Zoom. You can go to our website and sign up. And we'll be meeting for six consecutive Tuesdays as we walk through Lent. We'll be looking at Amy Jill Levine's book 
entering the passion of Jesus, and we will study the Gospels and look at Jesus' last week of life. I've started it. I've gotten a little head start on it, and it looks amazing. So I just invite everyone to join. If you can grab the book before Tuesday, I think it takes a day. If you get it on Amazon, that's what I did, um, go for it. And if you can't get the book, please join anyway, because I think it's going to be a really, really good conversation and perfect for the Lenten season. Other thing I wanted to remind people of, because I've heard from a few who couldn't make it the first time around, this Thursday night, we complete The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. If you heard Jordan's announcement last week, he's part of the book club and is enjoying it thoroughly. Um, it's a great book. It's a book about passion and family, and it also ties in just issues of gender and race and identity and just the impact of how our, what our past has on our future. So would love it if you join. We're going to, this Thursday when we meet, we'll look at what's up for the next month too. So please go online and you can get the Zoom link for that as well. One last thing. We have another week of um, MLK on Wednesday night, which has been absolutely moving and meaningful and amazing. And I encourage you guys to join us at 8 p.m. this Wednesday night. But after that, for the four weeks in March, we are going to be looking at Thy Will Be Done. It's a Lenten devotional book, something that we really encourage you to pick up if you can. You can walk through it on your own, but on Wednesday nights, Matt and I will be summarizing different aspects of this book and having conversations about it and asking you guys questions and to participate. So, Thy Will Be Done. I hope you guys can grab that because it's really, really good as well. So with that, I will turn it over to Matt for the message. Thanks. Hey, good evening, friends and family, whoever you may be. Thank you for coming through and being with us here at the table for our worship service. As is true every Sunday, I'm going to say it once again. Thank you. It means much. We're grateful that you're still with us, still doing this thing. Uh, especially not, just because it's not just another Sunday. We're in a brand new season. We are now officially in the Lenten season. And I've had about three or four of you guys and some people outside the community like call me. I don't know why this is funny. Call me this past week and ask like, what are the materials that I need to maximize my time in this season? Like, what do I need to do to really grow a little bit wider and walk a little bit taller than I did prior to entering into this season? And what I've come to be thinking about a lot this week and what I've decided to say in response to these folks is that I get the desire, I feel the desire to um, have our lives get bigger during this season. I get the itch for some sense of elevation. But I've, I've come to learn that the same rules of construction apply to our holy and spiritual calendars, which is that you need to go down before you actually go up. You're going to need to do some excavation before you get to the elevation. Jesus consistently is trying to get people to do that throughout the Gospels. He's trying to get people to the thing behind the thing before they go out and they live to the fullness of their calling. And so that's where we're going to go tonight. We're going to do some digging. We're going to do some uh, excavating. The text that the lectionary is leading us into is in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. If you have your Bibles at home, turn there now. Otherwise, follow along on the screen. This is happening in the middle, maybe like tail end, of Jesus' climactic Sermon on the Mount. And it reads like this. This is an interesting line. I don't know if I'm going to go to all the lines because I want to just harp on the first couple ones. Jesus says this. Be careful. So right away out of the gates, this is, this is a word of warning. Like, if it's for your best interest right now that you lean in and listen because there's a prohibition that I'm about to offer you for your own purpose. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Isn't that just a crazy idea? 
people practicing their piety in public to, to try to look good in front of others. I know it's disconnected from our world, but that, that used to happen. It used to happen quite frequently to the point where Jesus needed to offer up a warning around it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Because if you do that, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. If that's what they're going after, then that's what they're going to get. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, you who are practicing the ways of Jesus, you who are claiming fidelity to my name, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Every time I read this text, it, it makes me remember this memory from a few years ago. That's painful, borderline traumatizing, but I, that feels too dramatic, and I'm not a dramatic person. A few years ago, I was out at Old Chicago in Roseville with some friends. I think it was a birthday celebration, or maybe it was just a casual catching up. Whatever the occasion was, we had this night where we were having a, a pizza at Old Chicago and having beer, and we sat there for hours, and I got up at one point where I said, guys, Got to go to the bathroom, double decaroni, he's doing a real number on me, I'll be back in a little bit. But I didn't go to the restroom, I actually went to the front of the room, I found our waitress, gave her my credit card, and I said, this, the meal's on me, I'll take care of it tonight. And then I kind of like, I was pretty impressed with myself, so I lingered there like, did you hear what I said, did you hear that act of generosity? I was kind of impressed by the size of my certain heart. So my, my, my chest was puffed out, I walked back to the table, and as I'm going back to the table, waiting for this moment to come where the waitress is going to arrive and she's going to announce to the guys like Mr. Moberg, they always call you by your dad's name, Mr. Moberg has taken care of the meal. You guys have nothing to worry about. As I'm going back, I'm thinking, this is going to be, this is going to be awesome. Like finally, after all these years of investing relationally, I'm going to finally get the adoration that I deserve. And I sit down at that table and I wait for her to arrive and then she comes and she says out loud, one of the coldest and cruelest things that I have ever heard. She announces to the table, somebody has taken care of the bill tonight. Have a good night. And I'm going, somebody? <laughs> what? <laughs> somebody? <laughs> Not even like an awkward head nod like this guy. Somebody. And I'm, I'm like sitting there. And my friends are like, what? That's amazing. They get up and they start scanning the room like, do you guys know somebody that's here? And I'm sitting there smiling, the only face that isn't scanning the room. Like, it couldn't make it more obvious. And they go, oh, I don't know him. Well, it's awesome. And then they left. And that was it. <laughs> I just remember thinking, what a flipping waste that was. Like, what, a, what was the point of that good gift that I just gave? To, I might as well just throw $100 down the drain or burnt it into pieces on the spot. What a waste. What was the point? And then I read this text, and I hear Jesus asking, well, what was your purpose behind it? Like, what, what are you actually hoping would happen when you did that good deed? When you went to that waitress and you gave her your card, were you hoping to go after some form of altruism or were you just itching for some adoration? Were you trying to give a gift or you received some gratitude? Were you actually doing like the proverbial washing of your friend's feet or were you just hoping to find some people who would fluff your feathers? I know what you did was good, but why were you doing it at all? 
This is the question that Jesus is trying to get to in the text today. This is the question that he finds so important that he centers in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Make sure that you do note, though, because I think a lot of people miss Jesus doesn't stop at be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Jesus is not saying that you, when you're going to do good, when you're going to be generous, we don't, you don't need to go home, get into a closet, draw the drapes, and write your check to a 501c with complete anonymity. Jesus isn't saying if you're going to protest with Black Lives Matter, if you're going to stand with people who need you to stand with, you have to have your face fully wrapped so nobody knows that it's actually you. Jesus isn't getting at that right there. Jesus is saying, actually, that if your service is about being seen, then let's at least be honest with who is being served. Let's just name it for what it is. If your aim is the adoration of the crowd, if that's your reason, then that is going to be the extent of your reward. If all you are doing it is to get the approval of people, then all the rewards you'll get has to come from people. If all of your after is one dopamine hit after another, then you can go out and get that and you can find that. People will give you what you need. They'll, they'll itch, wait, no, no, they'll scratch that itch of yours. They'll take care of your needs if that's what you want, but that's all you're going to get. Jesus says that you can have that JV level prize, but it's going to come at the cost of a varsity level provision. Why? Well, it's not because God is withholding it from you. It's because you are withholding yourself from God. It's because it is psychologically and spiritually impossible to be obsessed with accumulation, status, position, and power while remaining rooted in the reality that you are and that you have enough. You cannot be constantly craving and, and resting content at the exact same time. You actually do have to choose this day whom you are going to serve. And so if you actually play back that moment from a few years ago, if I'm honest in my evaluation of that night, Ultimately, what I was doing is I was paying for that bill at Old Chicago in hopes that in doing so, I was purchasing validation from my friends, which I only felt like I needed because I didn't trust in the validation that came from my father. I didn't trust that there actually is somebody who sees me and who affirms me in the secret, that I am loved for who I am and not what I do that all is provided and I have nothing to prove. And so I don't have to spend my energy trying to convince you or them or anybody that I am worthy because there is somebody who sees me in secret who already said so. And so when I get to that place, if I was actually get to a place where I trust that what Jesus is saying is true, I would recognize that my validation doesn't hinge. My, my satisfaction isn't dependent upon your infatuation with me. I don't need you to clap for me to know who I am. I don't need you to tweet about me from where I stand. If I would trust that I can receive God's love as it is, I wouldn't need to reach for your adoration to fix me. Jesus says, stop trading away the gifts that will sustain you for something that is small and trivial that will entertain you and distract you for a moment. Stop practicing your righteousness, which is the Greek word dikaiosune, which means right relationships. Stop putting on full display your right relationships with self, with others, with earth. Earth. If you actually don't have a heart that's here to serve, but you're just so flippin' hungry to be seen, stop doing that. You're ruining it. And again, it's not because it's, you're costing other people something, but it's because it's costing you everything. 
God is, is with us, and we see this, we've talked about this again and again, so I apologize if I'm being redundant, but God is, is with us consistently. Scriptures lead us to believe, to empower us, edify us, equip us to face our days and to live fully free. But God is not going to enable us to be frauds. God is not going to bless who we pretend to be. Because God is the one who calls us back to the Garden of Eden where we are naked and there is no shame and we are safe enough to be seen as we are and not how we pretend to be. Who told you you were naked was the voice in the garden. Who told you that you couldn't be naked? Who told you you needed to cover up yourself because you weren't safe enough to be seen? And so Jesus says you you need to stop that. (laughs) Sometimes when you read the Bible and you think, okay, Jesus, that's right. How do I do that? Do you know how to, I don't know, how do you actually stop, like, how do I have fully pure, hundo percent, pure motives, not a flaw to be found? I'm here just to serve. Because honestly, I don't know if I know how. I mean, I suppose I could be more intentional with some of my thoughts when I'm at Old Chicago with my friends. Um, I could I could try to work on needing less, like, the approval of other people. But I'm the guy, you guys, were in high school... If I had a really good outfit on and I wasn't having enough encounters with my peers in between classes, I would go to the mall after school just to make sure I got enough mileage out of this drip. I wasn't going to let it go to waste. I have spent so much of my time being formed in the image of approval for other people. And so how do I just go and change? There's not a a switch that I can flip that's going to change my motives from polluted to pure. And I'll say that even when I think about this job. For real. I mean, I think about when I'm sitting here today and I'm trying to do my best in this space, in this medium, to empower and equip you to practice the ways of Jesus and to live into this place where you, I, we are all full and free. When I think about the work that I'm doing, I, I could ask myself, is that a good, Christian, is it a good thing that I'm doing? It's a good thing. Like, I would, I would say, like, if I look at the metrics of my wiring and my walk, In this particular scene in my story, this work makes sense. This is the best way that I know how to maximize who I am and love others the best that I can. That's what I've determined. So I believe that what I'm doing is good. But that doesn't really touch on the why. Because you have no idea why I'm doing this job. You don't know my motivations. I mean, you could guess, depending on how cynical you are, You might be able to pull together a few comments here and there and string together some hints that would lead you to believe that you have an understanding. But you can't see what's inside of my heart that would let you actually know fully, with clarity, why am I doing this job? I mean, I could be up here because I love Jesus and I love you guys and I want you to know how loved you are and I believe in us and I believe in the work that we are doing and I can't wait to see how we are going to advocate and fight for our city through personal care and policy change. I could be up here for those reasons. That's a theory. I could also be up here because this is my job, and I have kids, and I have a mortgage, and I have more dog coins to pick up. Like, that's another reason I could be up here. Or actually even worse, I could be up here as another form of performative stunt where it looks to you like I'm preaching about Christ, but really I'm just trying to construct myself a platform where I can get more people who say my name, more people who will follow me on social media, more people who will give me those dopamine hits online, more opportunities for speaking engagements elsewhere so I can have more money and more capacity to actually um, impose my understanding of the world onto other people and dominate and take over. Some of you guys are like, I was cynical before, and now I am off the chart cynical. I knew that this is what... I'm just saying hypothetically, all these things could be true. 
but you don't know my motivations for being here, and I know that you don't know because neither do I. I mean, full disclosure, I'm a mixed bag of motives. I mean, there's, there's good motives in me, and there's not so good motives in me. And depending on the season we are in, there are, it's sometimes the good motives are taking the wheel, and sometimes the bad motives are taking the wheel. And before you judge me, just let me make it clear that you're the exact same way. Don't tell me that when you show up at your office tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., coffee hot in hand, that the first thing you are thinking is, I am here for human flourishing. That is my only reason. No, stop it. Just be honest with a bit. Sometimes we are like, human flourishing, yay. <laughs> and sometimes we're like, I don't want to get out of bed. I might see another human being. And that's a problem. We are a mixed bag of, of motives constantly. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves on a regular basis, the question we have to return to is not just what am I doing, but why am I doing it? Not just am I getting really good at this game, but also is this game any good for me? Like is it making me walk wider? Because one of the most heartbreaking gifts that I've ever encountered, but I've really seen it firsthand over the last few years, is seeing people who have everything that I want, money, status, influence, power, and finding out that, that for them, that, that still isn't enough. I got one guy in my life who has more money in his bank account than all of us put together. He is loved by a lot of different people. He is doing just fine. And yet just the other day, he sent me a song that he wrote. And I'm going to just read you some of these lyrics. Now everything is peachy, and yeah, I feel Avicii. 50,000 watching me, but I swear don't nobody see me. But it's rich people problems. There's stamps all over my passport. My mom is telling me that this is everything you asked for. My anxiety increases the higher that I climb. I thought that this would get easier, easier with time. I'm happy in my mind, or at least, at least I tell myself that. I guess I'm damaged goods, and I cannot help that. See, I've spent so much of my life, and in, in, I don't think I'm projecting I think you've spent a lot of your life, too, believing that once you get to the top of the totem pole, when you get that money, you get that girl, you get that stage, status, whatever it is, get that respect on your name, once you get to the top rung of the ladder, you would only talk pretty. You wouldn't talk like this. I did not expect that when you get to the top of the ladder, you'd have to find out that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. That's a jarring experience. It makes me think of the words of God in the book of Joshua where God says, I'm going to give you good success, which implies to me that there's other versions of success that are not so good. There's the kind of success that comes from what you are holding, and there's a the kind of success that comes from realizing that you are the one being held. And so are you getting, at a good, are you getting good at a game that is actually good for you? We live in a society that runs on the myth of scarcity where we mistake the objects that provide for our needs for the needs themselves. And so you, you don't need your lover, but you do need to be loved. You don't need your job, but you need to feel secure. You don't need to be beautiful, cool, or popular. You need to feel seen, safe, and enough. God's offering you a reward that will get to the latter, but you're going to have to let go of the former. It's about perspective, it's about motives, it's about getting to the real heart of the matter and seeing through your desire to the thing that you really want, the thing that you deserve, the thing that God has just for you. God operates under a different economy than the rat race that we live in, and God waits us to jump out of it. 
I always think about this one quote from Jadua Krishnamurti, who says, it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. You are not a rat, get out of the rat race. Step into God's kingdom for a better, more sustainable form of rewards. Faith in God isn't just the belief that there is one. Believing in Jesus is believing Jesus when Jesus says that if you want your life, if you want to find the life, and I know that you do because I see you running around treating other people like they're your personal pharmacy, asking them to like you, affirm you, validate you time and time again. If you want the thing that you are actually looking for, then let go of your need to be the hottest show in town. If you need to impress everybody else, start centering down on what's actually important. So let me get to the heart of this right now and close this thing up. I want to give you three invitations that have been helpful for me, and I hope that they'll be helpful for you. As we think about in this season especially, we're going to do some excavating for the purpose of elevating. Uh, my first invitation is this. How do we take on this work that Jesus is inviting us into? Find a person in your life who is not at war in this way, who has gotten to the, onto the ladder and found out how it actually is leaning against the wrong wall who sees the image of God in you, who sees that who you are is far more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are, and is consistent about reminding you to step into the, find that person. For me, that person was Doc Nielsen. Doc Nielsen was um, somebody that had been on the ladder, was winning at the game, but then had to ask the question, what is really being won? And at some point, he made this pivot where he recognized, I have to let go of what's impressive to other people so I can actually do what's important to me. And he found freedom in doing so. And he invited all of us to join him in doing so. Find those people in your life. The second invitation is this, shamelessly observe your attachments. I'm not saying, like, be detached of all things, don't feel things, robotically float through life. I've been in that phase, didn't like that phase. It doesn't work the way you think it will. But I am saying, like, I always have the image of closed fist and open hand. How are you carrying the things in your life, your resources, your time, your treasure, your talents, your energy? How are you, how are you responding in different relationships? Observe shamelessly your attachments. Why is it that you need that person's respect? Why do you need them to envy you? Why do you need them to like you? Why do you need their permission? Why do you need to have what they have? Because you're hoping that it will get rid of a feeling that you presently. What is your, observe the way that you hold the relationships to others, to self, to earth, to God. Observe it all. Pay attention to these things. The last one I want to say is this is um, practice generosity. If God is the generous God who is always giving, the spirit who gives again and again and again, then for us to actually reflect the image of God that we are created in is to join God in that generative lifestyle. Practice generosity. If you could see a month of your resources being expended, if we could fast forward and you look back on this month, ask yourself that sobering question, do the numbers look like somebody who is practicing the open-handed ways of Jesus or like somebody who is clinging to the top rung on the ladder? What do you see? I saw something the other day online that I just want to, it meant much to me. And it's this parent who said, as a practice in our own home, we're going to stop asking our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we're going to start asking our kids, how would you like to help? How do you want to like spend your life for the benefit of others? It's this way of teaching a generosity of spirit where we are moving away from 
how are you going to position yourself to perform well in this rat race that is making us all sick, to asking a better question that says, how are you going to consistently live from your depths in this generous, joyful, sustainable way where giving and loving is so natural that sometimes you can do it with your right hand and your left hand won't even find out about it. At the heart of it all, my concern is that we have allowed the parts inside of us that are scared way too much power, and it's time we fight back. It's time we abandon the myth of scarcity and enter into God's abundance. I want to close with a short story, a parable that I heard a few years ago that um, has always stuck with me. Let me read it to you. There's this man that has this dream that the next day when he wakes up, he's going to meet this guru. And he was supposed to ask this guru for his most valuable possession, and the guru on the spot would be compelled to give it to him. So this guy has this dream, and then he wakes up, and it was really vivid. And he was like, well, that was weird, but it felt compelling, and so I'm going to go into the city and see if there is a guru. So he grabs his things, and he gets on his clothes, and he heads into town. And sure, lo and behold, there's the guru on the city corner, standing there with a the saddlebag next to him, waiting for him. That's what it felt like, at least to him. And so the man runs up to him, and he says, I had this dream about you. And the guru goes, oh, really? Did you know? He goes, I did have a dream about you, and in my dream, I was told that I'm supposed to ask you for your most valuable possession, and you have to give it to me. Guru says, I do. Guy says, yeah, you do. Guru says, okay. Reaches into his bag, and he reaches in, and he says, uh, do you think this is it? And in his hand is the largest gemstone that the man had ever seen. And so this guy starts freaking out. I mean, he's going, of course that is it. I, I have to, I need that. You have to give it to me. And the guru goes, okay, it's yours. I mean, I just found it in the river a few days ago. The man takes it and immediately he starts scheming with it. He's thinking about how he's going to turn it into money and how that money is going to provide him with some property and the property prestige and so on and so on and so on. And as he is overwhelmed with all that the future now holds for him, he's about to leave. But before he does, he looks up and he notices the look on the guru's face and he sees that there is nothing but peace. Nothing but serenity. And the man takes this deep breath and he surprises himself when he says out loud, I think I asked you for the wrong thing. And the guru said, you did. And the guy says, yeah, I think what I'm supposed to ask you is for the kind of faith and peace that allows you to just hand this to me and still be happy. Will you give me that? And the guru says, of course I will. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Matt's message reminded me of a sermon that I had heard about two decades ago, one that has stuck with me. And the message of that sermon was is that we have an audience of one, and that audience is God. And every week when we gather together for communion, when we gather to break bread and dip it into the cup, we are reminded of just that God, that God that calls us his beloved. On the night before Jesus died, he took bread. And after giving thanks to his Father above, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And likewise, he took the cup. And after pouring wine into the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you, the new covenant. When you eat this bread and drink from this cup, remember me. 
And so that's what we do together on Sunday nights. Wherever we are, however we're gathering, we remember, we remember a God who loves us and calls us to follow him. So please hear these words as you take your bread. The body of Christ broken for you and his blood shed for you. And now together, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.